Does being loved by God mean that one will never have to face sickness or death? Here's Pastor Ed Ray providing the answer. This man is loved by Jesus. In fact, Jesus said he loves him two ways. Phileo is a best friend and agape, unconditional love. He's loved by God and he's sick. How sick is he? Sick to death. Is that God's will? Yeah, in fact, God waits for him to die to make the miracle all more spectacular. Sickness is not a sign that God is upset at you. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your whether it's for physical healing, a relationship gone sour, or whether to make a move, we've all prayed for something. And at times, there's a delay or an answer that we wouldn't expect. In the story we're about to encounter today on Grow in Grace, Jesus' good friend Lazarus becomes sick and dies. But we're about to see that this situation will bring glory to God in an unexpected way. You guessed it, there was a delay. Here's Pastor Ed Ray in John chapter 11, reminding us who's really in charge. We're in John chapter 11 this morning, verse 1. John writes, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to Jesus, saying, Behold, Lord, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, His sickness is not unto, will not last in death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that she was sick, he stayed two more days in that place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, that's good. He'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, 
went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Lord, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, that it gives us understanding about eternity. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us now that we might grow in the knowledge and the wonder of you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. I love the true story told by Sam. Ross Sam, he's a high industry sales guy. He wrote about his neighbor. His neighbor's cat was run over by a car. And she had a five-year-old son named Billy. Now, Billy was at kindergarten when the cat was killed. So she quickly ran out, scooped up the body, and disposed of it so it wouldn't be around when Billy got home from kindergarten. So he comes home, didn't say anything. A couple of days later, he says, Mom, where's the cat? And she said, honey, I can't lie to you. The cat's dead. But don't worry, Jesus took him to heaven. The little boy stuck out his bottom lip for a minute. He said, why would God want a dead cat in heaven? That's a good question. <laughs> he doesn't take dead cats to heaven. We live in a fantastic time of discovery and technology. Many new things, electronic things becoming more powerful. The, the cell phone you have in your pocket or your purse is becoming more and more powerful and more powerful than the earliest computers that would take up a whole room. And one area of medicine is fascinating. It's called oncology. It comes from a Greek word. It means a tumor. And in oncology, doctors treat cancer. Well, in that field, there's new medications coming out almost every week, and they go through clinical trials where you have 40 to 100 or 200 people who have a certain kind of cancer that they're testing to see if the drug works. And Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York City does a new study almost every week, and so they have hundreds of patients coming in being treated for cancer. And Many times the drugs don't work. Only about 7% of the time does a drug actually become effective or they find it effective against the cancer. I say all that to say they have an interesting term for people who respond, and they're the only ones in that study that respond to the drug. They call that patient the Lazarus effect, the story that we just read. And they call that patient the Lazarus effect because that patient is, of course, happy, has been cured. But the rest of the people in the study who it didn't help are upset that they, the drug didn't work on them naturally. Well, over the years now, we learn more and more about the human genome, your chromosome, your DNA. And we have a, a new fast way to do it, next generation sequencing. And we've discovered that the drugs that work are aligned with the DNA of the patient in this study. So one or two out of 40 people, all of a sudden they've come to expect that. 
And so they have all these patients who have the Lazarus effect. And I chose to start this morning that way so you would understand that the big story here is resurrection, right? Jesus' miracle of a dead man, been in a grave for four days. But the other part of the story that's important for us is this Lazarus effect on the two sisters who were upset that God didn't do what they wanted them to do. Often, you and I have the same thing happen to us, maybe not in the sense of a loved one dying, maybe so. But we pray for something, and God doesn't answer in time or the way that we wanted to. And it has a Lazarus effect, a way of damping down our faith. And I suggest, in fact, over all the years of being a pastor now, I think every person has at least one Lazarus event in their life. And so part of this study is to get you and me to examine our lives when God disappointed us, when he didn't show up like we thought he should have. And we don't have this wonderful exceptional response, that's what they call it in oncology. The patient that is cured is the exceptional responder because their DNA predisposes them to do well with that particular drug. They didn't know it when they started it, but now they're trying to design drugs to fit people's DNA that is in a problem, that has some mutation in it. So we are looking at this story, really the effect of praying and God not responding. Often when we don't get the answer to the prayer that we were hoping for, we conclude that it wasn't answered at all. But sometimes God answers no, and sometimes God answers wait. Well, I don't like those answers, God. Well, something that God isn't interested, he doesn't respond to prayer, or that he lacks power, or that he has a hearing problem. Well, there's a hearing problem involved, but it's usually mine. He's talking and I'm not paying attention, I'm not listening, because I don't want that answer. So part of this story as we go through it, this study, why does God allow us to experience delays in answer to prayer? And does God answer all our prayers? Maybe we don't like the answer, so we say he didn't answer. So God uses the delay to develop our faith, our trust in him. God speaks in trust. God wants us to trust Him, to put our faith in Him. You're listening to Grow in Grace with our Bible teacher, Pastor Ed Ray. We're covering John 11 on this Friday. Now, we are looking at one of the best-loved miracles in all the Bible. And thousands upon thousands of sermons have been preached on this particular event. It was the most popular from the first century on with other believers like you and I, because it's so exciting. A dead man comes to life. But at least each one of us has one situation where something didn't happen. You might be in that right now. You're in the middle of a Lazarus situation. 
The Lazarus effect is your Lazarus. It's in fact a dream that died. When hope didn't float, it sunk. And when you thought, hey, why not me? I know people that God has done this for. Why didn't he do it for me? Well, we all have that. The seventh miracle that Jesus does in the Gospel of John. Now, let me remind you just a moment, if you haven't been traveling through, the Gospel of John is different than the other three Gospels. The other three are called synoptic, which means the same. They cover the same time periods in Jesus' life, and they, and they kind of progress through his ministry of three and a half years. John is different. John is writing this when he's in his 90s. He's in Ephesus, what we would call modern-day Turkey, and he doesn't finish it till he's 94, seven years older. And it goes on and on as he thinks about the events that happened. He said, I'm only going to write about seven miracles. If I tried to write down all the miracles that Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't contain them. But these seven I'm writing, and he tells us why. I'm writing them to you so you would know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing that you might have eternal life. If you would believe that Jesus is the creator who came to earth and died for your sins, then you would have eternal life. So we started with the changing of water into wine at Cana, and then there was a royal official whose son had a fever down in Capernaum, and on and on we worked our way through the miracles. This is the seventh one. This is the high point. This is hollow ground. This is the most important one to prove that Jesus is Messiah, the creator. And that's his statement. I am the resurrection. I am the one that gives life. Now, we left Jesus last time in a confrontation. He's in a battle with the Jewish leadership the rabbis, the Sanhedrin, the 70 in Jerusalem, and they're trying to catch him, and they want to stone him. They want to kill him because he said, before Abraham was, I am. I always have been. I've always existed. And they pick up stones to kill him. And he said, why are you picking up stones to kill me for the good works I did? They said, no, because you claim to be God. You're not God. He was saying he was God. They just didn't quite think it through all the way. And then later he said, the Father and I are one. We're the same, exactly the same. And so they picked up stones again. But he's going back. <laughs> and that's why the disciples said, what? <laughs> why are we going back? So this section breaks up into three parts. The request from the two sisters, one through three, the reply, Jesus coming, but coming late, 4 through 17. And then 18 through 28, the reaction. Now, we're obviously not finishing this story. It goes all the way through the chapter. And we'll finish it, Lord willing, next week. But this one has this concept of resurrection. You will be resurrected. You will experience it personally everyone in this room. And secondly, answered prayers. How are they answered? And if we don't get the answer, do we pout? Are we angry at God? 
how do we react to a prayer that doesn't come out the way we want it to? So, first of all, let's jump in and see what God would teach us. Verse 1, the request. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Now, that's interesting. We need to pause on that a minute because I still hear teachers on television and on the radio saying Christians aren't supposed to be sick. This man is loved by Jesus. In fact, Jesus said he loves him two ways. Phileo is a best friend and agape, unconditional love. He's loved by God and he's sick. How sick is he? (laughs) He's sick to death. Is that God's will? Yeah. In fact, God waits for him to die to make the miracle all more spectacular. Sickness is not a sign that God is upset at you. You can't meet a person who's sick and say, well, they must have messed up big time. Or handicap, or any other thing that you might let your mind go off into la-la land. Ecclesiastes 9, 1. For I considered all this in my heart. Solomon is writing this. Holy Spirit is speaking through him. I considered all this in my heart so that I could declare it all that the righteous and the wise and the works are in the hands of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them, in front of them. When you see somebody, you can't look at them and say, well, they must not be doing well spiritually. They must be sinners. I guarantee you they're sinners. We all are. But the picture here is for us to see that a man loved by Jesus is sick, and God's not just okay with it. He's going to use it. So, he's from Bethany. Now, Bethany is a city right next to Jerusalem. It's actually a little suburb, about two miles, they say. It's actually just on the top of the Mount of Olives. If you look at the Mount of Olives, the backside of it, that is Bethany. Only today, it has a different name. It's called El Lazaria, which is interesting because that's Arabic for the place of Lazarus. Because Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead here in just a few more lines. And it becomes famous for 2,000 years. It changes the name of the city. So this is a Lazaria. Lazarus's name means God is my help. That is, as the sign says, the tomb of Lazarus. Now, nobody's alive today to tell us for sure, but it's the only one in town. It's empty. And right across the street is the Lazarus tour shop. So it's got to be the right place, right? (laughs) That's the way I think. But the whole city is named after Lazarus. Eliezer is the other pronunciation, the place of Lazarus. It's been called that for almost 2,000 years from the very beginning. When somebody comes back from the dead after four days, people are going to remember. That's what's going on here. Verse 2. It was that Mary, the two sisters, the town of Mary. There's seven Marys in the New Testament, so John wants us to make sure we know which one he's talking about. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. So this Mary is the one who showed great worship of Jesus. She came up to him 
and then bowed down before him, broke her dowry, a alabaster vessel, soft stone, and it was filled with costly spices, poured it over his head, it ran down his head, off his garments and onto his feet. Then she got down on her knees and she wiped off his feet with her hair as an act of worship. She was anointing his body for burial, Jesus said. She could see, she predicted, she knew that Jesus was going to die. And so when Jesus went through all the things he did, when they were scourging him, when he walked through Pilate's court, when he walked down the Via Della Rosa with Simon carrying the cross, everyone smelled this perfume, very expensive. So she showed this great love. Her sister Martha is a doer. She was very busy. She always had things that she wanted to do. But Mary is a worshiper. She's usually at his feet. Now, these two sisters, verse 3, sent to him, and they said, here's their message. Evidently gave it to a young man who took him down 27 miles away, this message. Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. Now, the word love here is the Greek word phileo. It means brotherly love, where Philadelphia got its name, the city of brotherly love. It's not, that's a lie. It's a good place to get mugged if you're from Philly. And who are we to say we live in California? But phileo, the word means best friend, fond of. Jesus is fond of Lazarus. They're friends. He'd go to their house often. That's where he stayed when he was in Jerusalem, we're told by Luke. So here's a man who Jesus loves, but he doesn't just love him. Have you ever wondered if God likes you? That's the kind of stuff I think about. <laughs> well, he has to love me. He loves the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But wait, this says he was fond of. He liked Lazarus. Does that scare you? Is that a crazy thought that God actually likes you? He does. He wants you to spend time with him. He's looking for prayer time from you, intimate relationship with you. God likes you. Don't turn him down. He's looking for us to have an intimate, personal relationship. Now notice that they're very diplomatic. They don't say, Jesus, come quick, you've got to heal him. He's going to die. They say, you love him, and he's sick. That's very diplomatic. My wife is like that. She doesn't tell me what to do. She just mentions it, she says. You know, if you have any brains at all, you'll listen. But for the first, you know, decades of my marriage, I didn't listen. We're going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Ray here on Grow in Grace. And it's just a part of our Through the Bible study. If you'd like the CD, which contains the complete and uninterrupted message, call us today at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. 
We're thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to share his word over the radio. And maybe this is a ministry you'd like to support. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And we'll say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And if you wouldn't mind in the next day or two, send off an email to let us know you're listening and what you're getting out of the present series in John. It's encouraging to hear how God is at work through Grow in Grace. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life when you email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next time as we return to our study of the Gospel of John. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your.